Welcome to One Weird Trick, a podcast giving advice for better living. Your hosts, Aaron and Cecily, have zero legal, medical, or psychological qualifications to give advice. Please consider any advice you receive from them as being from well-meaning, but human and imperfect friends. Please consult actual professionals for any serious legal, medical, or mental help you may need. And now, here's Cecily and Aaron. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to One Weird Trick, the show where we seek and share ways we can be healthier, happier, and more connected. I think we got a great show for you this week. First up, I'll be talking about the concept of pathological gaming, which I thought would be a nice counterpoint to last week's, hey, everybody, play video games. Have you tried video gaming? Play more video games segment. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm the I'm the dealer, and now I'm coming back Nancy Reagan style. Just say no. <laughs> Just say no. It's going to be a bit more fair and balanced than that, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, and then I am going to talk to you guys about just a few of my favorite cognitive biases. Uh, Cognitive biases are things that we all have and we don't know about. Chances are, anytime you make a decision, you're being influenced by some sort of cognitive bias. So we'll talk about that a bit. You want to sing a song? These are just just a few of my favorite biases. Yeah. It went off the rails. Went off the rails fast. I'll workshop it a bit while you're talking. Okay. Uh, So I want to talk about pathological video game obsession. Uh, This is so so pathological gaming is defined as when you play video games so much that results in significant problems in your social relationships and your ability to function daily. It's kind of like an addiction. Yeah. In fact, this is um, most of these so-called social disorders. um, I'm of the opinion of like things like Internet addiction, gambling addiction, uh, food addiction are really just ways to uh, describe a manifestation of underlying you know, psychological unhealthiness. Um, But then again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a mental health professional. Just my opinion. But uh, I do read some of these studies. It's something I am uh, interested in because at many points in my life, I have been called a video game addict by a hectoring mother who wanted me to read the Bible more um, or other types of relationships like that. And um, I just want to talk about it. So again, pathological video gaming doesn't mean that you play video games a lot. Uh, Because there's times in my life where I played six to eight hours of video games a day, uh, but I still had a very healthy social life. I held down a job. I hung out with friends on nights and weekends. Um, But, you know, if you're having trouble at work or you're neglecting your personal relationships, uh, if gaming no longer becomes like a source of pride and pleasure and accomplishment, but just becomes something you, you do to stave off conscious living until you can finally pass out and do it all over again the next day. Maybe it's become pathological. And also, I have had the uh, experience of, you know, dealing with children who's like, man, plays a lot of video games. Maybe the grades are slipping. What's the best way to address this kind of stuff? I feel like you are just taking the long way of telling me that I play too much Animal Crossing. Well, this has now become a public intervention on this podcast, and I need all the One Weird Trick family to tell Cecily how much we love and support her, but she really needs to put down the console, step away from Tom Nook and his fucking bullshit. <laughs> the turnip game, man. The yeah. turnips. Yeah, she's she's just uh, all night, red-eyed, bleary, <laughs> hunting scorpions. It's insane. Uh, so I read a study late last year. Uh, that talked about pathological video games. And I noticed that it came out of Korea. Two to three sponsors uh, or or co-authors of the paper are from uh, South Korea. Um, And one of the guys had already written a pretty interesting study about, you know, violence in video games. So I kind of perked up my ears and I read it. And I thought it's interesting because Korea, if you don't know, is one of the most video game obsessed countries on the planet. Like they have active professional video game leagues. They have the internet cafes where everybody plays real time strategy games. And they're just, uh, you know, much, much heavier into video game use than your average, even Western country is. Um, and of course, I'll be linking the uh, an article studying or discussing the study and the study itself in the show notes like I always do. But the aim of the study is to determine whether this uh, uh, concept of pathological gaming is its own diagnosis on its own. Kind of like uh, you can be a no shit heroin addict, like physically, mentally, emotionally dependent, can be ruining your life. Uh, and you could be otherwise completely fine until you, you, you stepped on the H train and it's a runaway deal. Or... 
Um, is it a red flag that the person is experiencing those other underlying mental health issues? So they studied 477 boys and 491 girls over a four-year period, and they charted their perceived relationship with their parents, their social support structures, uh, levels of academic stress and success, uh, their self-perceived uh, self, self-control, and um, the frequency of their video gaming behaviors. And the study had this primary finding that lack of self-control is the biggest predictor for obsessive gaming, which, you know, a lot of people are probably like, well, duh. But underlying that, the participants who felt like they had overprotective parents and less parental communication overall tended to feel higher levels of academic stress, which predicted lack of self-control. Now, in Korea, you know, there's an incredible social pressure to succeed academically. In fact, we just looked at the movie Parasite over on the bald move side of the fence. And, you know, that's an important plot point that like, you know, competition in the economy is so fierce that like if you don't have impressive college degrees, it's hard to, to hold down any job. Um, and, yeah, everyone should go see the movie Parasite. <laughs> uh, but these academic and parental pressures cause a breakdown in self-control where, where kids use gaming as an escape from the stress. And there's also evidence that in other countries, such as the U.S. and U.K., uh, where you also can get this pathological gaming, that sometimes it can result from underlying issues like ADHD. But frequent gaming doesn't have a link to causing the ADHD. Because a lot of parents are like, oh, if you let your kid play X amount of video games a day, then they're going to get ADHD. Mm. Whereas the the findings here are the opposite. Like ADHD, like video games are a big ADHD trap. Mm. Um, and I think it's something to keep in mind because, you know, adults, I think, tend to blame technology and media for like social problems. Like historically, it's like, oh, it's the... You know, the fucking uh, orphan Annie on the radio ruining the kids today. <laughs> See, it's it's uh, the the boob tube is ruining. It's the it's the comic yeah. books. It's the Dungeons and Dragons. It's 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 never, you know, what is going on with their lives in total that is causing this thing that they enjoy to be this outsized influence in their life. It's always like it's that thing that's causing the problem. But as someone that is a child of maybe you could call overly controlling parents um, who would like refuse to even discuss any kind of like, you know, if my mom decided one day I'd played too much video games, it's just yanked the cord out of the wall. That's it in the discussion instead of like, hey, noticed you're playing a lot of video games, but, you know, your chores are piling up or you had you got you're having problems in school, which I never did. I was actually a pretty diligent kid, mm-hmm. kept up on my chores, straight A student. Um, still that, got that cord yanked though you still got that cord yanked because that leads to a feeling that you don't have control over anything in your life which makes the video games where there's rigid rules where you're the one in charge where there's predictable reward patterns and structures you know like if I spend six hours grinding in a video game I know I'm going to at the end of that have my magic sword plus two right. but I could spend six hours studying for a test and still fail because you know, sometimes I'm struggling with the material and real life doesn't have those like um, regularly structured dopamine hits the way video games do. Yeah. So um, I think the bottom line from looking at the study is if your children's video game habits or other media habits are bothering you, then you should talk to them about it before you yank it away. Maybe you can engage in that with them. So it becomes like a family activity uh, because again, there's an inverse correlation between parental communication and closeness and lack of self-control. So maybe by joining them and trying to take an interest in their their hobby and really understand it, uh, you, you can uh, help them out with that. And uh, also, if it's causing them social or school problems, look into childhood depression and anxiety and how that manifests itself because it doesn't manifest itself like it does in adults. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are they being bullied are they struggling to understand the material? One problem I had in the fifth grade is my eyesight went bad. Like I, you know, but how do you know that as a fifth grader? Like suddenly the chalkboard looks really fuzzy and my teacher had moved me from the, to the back of the class from the, I was kind of in the front of the class in the last year. Suddenly I wasn't understanding as much and like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> um, are they manifesting some kind of anxiety or attention disorders? Mm-hmm. Because if they are, And you take away the one thing that they're successfully using to kind of regulate themselves and feel good about themselves. You might end up doing a lot more damage than than, you know, if obviously you did. Then you think you're saving them from. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Especially if that's not the thing causing the issue. Right. 
Um, so, and it's, you know, the other thing is like, I talk about this in terms of kids and children, but it's also something, you know, if you look in your own life and you're like, oh man, uh, I'm really worried about my gaming life balance. Uh, same kind of deal. Dig into that, you know, talk to your friends about it. You can see a counselor, you know, we've talked about like, if you got a general practitioner, you can talk to them about your stress and anxiety and see if they have any recommendations or medications that they can, uh, uh, you know, help you out with. Because, you know, I think gaming is obviously a fun hobby. I advocate for it. We have a lot of fun with it in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, hell, a lot of people are turning it into a career. I always think of like, can you imagine how insane it would be? Like if Larry Bird's parents went out there and be like, damn it, Larry, you've been out there practicing layups in the driveway for three hours. Come on. Come on in here. <laughs> like, you know, that's seen as something good and laudable and right. healthy Whereas like getting very good at, you know, Apex Legends or Fortnite is seen as obsessive and weird. And um, I think that our, our culture is kind of slow in the uptake about how that can be, you know, the same way people can get obsessed with uh, sports and movies and TV. Um, that's fine. If that leads to your life being kind of richer and more fuller, if it leads to your life being narrower and emptier, then, then it, it's, a, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And if that is getting in the way of your life that, that there's help out there to be had. So just wanted to kind of put that balance in there from, from last week. Okay. Now Cecily is going to talk about the subject of cognitive biases, cognitive biases. You know, Cecily, I've long maintained that far and away the best bias is confirmation bias. And I don't think anyone's ever going to talk me out of it. And I'd like to see you try. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, it's funny. Cognitive biases. Uh, let me give you a quick definition real quick for anyone who's unaware of what I'm talking about. They are systematic patterns of deviation from the norm or rationality and judgment, otherwise called heuristics, which are mental shortcuts, essentially. Ways that your body can respond, or your mind rather, can respond to you know the stimulus around you, help you make decisions, whether it needs to be quickly, effectively, whatever situation. And it's, uh, I, I thought of a number of them while you were talking. There are, there's so many, it's, it's unbelievable. And they, if, they also like, did you, are you going to talk about like why we have them? Because I think that's like fascinating, like the evolutionary pressures that, you know, like some of these things keep us safe. Like the fact that, you know, if one, if, if we ate a red mushroom and we got sick, then we might be like, fuck all red mushrooms, even though there's no real scientific basis. And maybe the next red mushroom would be delicious. Right. That I mean, that's one specific confirmation or cognitive bias. It's uh, if you look on Wikipedia, you will see that there are hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're divided up by, I would say, Decision-making, belief, and like behavioral biases, like what you were just describing, there's social biases, and then there's um, memory error biases. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, mostly today, I'm going to be talking about the behavioral biases. Mm. I might do a follow-up on like the memory errors ones, which are the ones that I think are the most interesting, and also the social biases. But yeah, I just want to point out that if you read this list, you'll find that everything... That every every decision that we make is defined by some sort of bias, which is it's just really crazy to think about. But also, really, I feel like really opens up your mind to uh, what we call this the Dunning Kruger effect, <laughs> <laughs> where you become aware of your decision making, and then you can sort of analyze it from that standpoint. You know, the the Dunning Kruger effect is like the smarter you are, the more you're likely to underestimate your own decision making and the stupider you are the more likely you're you're going to overvalue your own decision making and to say things like stupider say things like stupider (laughs) you can be more stupid that way um so uh, doing this research i thought i'd be able to sum it up quickly but it's not that's not something you can do oh i imagine you could do a four-year degree on (laughs) just like a few types yeah uh, there is a medium.com article that I'm going to link in the show notes where, uh, this author Buster Benson actually took the time to like really analyze all of this data and try to make sense of all of it. Um, there's, you know, there's all kinds of duplicates on the, on the Wikipedia page. If you 
are looking for such as quick information, it's it's this is the list to go to, not the Wikipedia page. It just gets more confusing because you read through it and you're trying to understand and trying to metabolize all of that information, mm-hmm. but it's it's just really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um. So again, yeah, that's going to be in the show notes. So what he says is he sums up the four problems with biases that he can help us address. The first one, the first problem really is too much information. Uh, there's just so much information out there that noise becomes signal and we just take sometimes the first bit of information that is, that is given to us, or you just take information that you already have so you can make a better decision based on what you already know, Mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, problem two is not enough meaning where the, you know, the lack of meaning is confusing. So we fill in the gaps and signal becomes story. Hmm. meaning that uh, like i said something that you already know becomes fact and it's interesting to consider this because you know the more aware you are the more likely you are to say that i'm not biased because i'm aware of it (laughs) that's how it works right like it makes things better but like you can never free yourself from being you can never get like an external point of your own biases you can be aware of them and always like mentally kind of like challenge yourself about like is this bias affecting me or is it bias but like right there's a bias about being but uh aware of being biased (laughs) yeah yeah uh is there really yeah the bias bias yeah (laughs) is there a bias 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 probably (laughs) uh problem three is the need to act fast Mm. so those the signals become a story and then the story becomes a decision Um, And then problem number four is what should we remember? So like I just said, you know, you try to read through this Wikipedia article, but I'm only going to remember the things that I need to or want to or that will immediately help me process this situation. You know, like sometimes I become aware of a cognitive bias and I'm like, God, I just can't put my finger on the name. I go back to this Wikipedia page. Frequently I do. And, you know, it's just so much information to process that maybe if you are able to sort through it and like pin it down and find the one that you were thinking of mm-hmm. you're not going to remember next time yeah uh so the noise becomes signal signal becomes story stories become decisions and then problem four decisions inform our mental models of the world hmm. um so yeah that's kind of that's that's how cognitive biases work i wanted to I just wanted to run through a few of my favorite ones to give you an example of some cognitive biases. Um, confirmation bias, as you described earlier, the tendency to search for, interpret, focus on, and remember information in a way that confirms one's own preconceptions. For example, I believe that cats are stupid. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to Google stupid cats and I'm going to find the first link the first article that confirms my belief and I'm going to say, ha, that's, that's evidence that and, and you'll seek I'm out correct. And f- you'll seek out and find other people sharing that bias like yes. myself and get into a domestic relationship with them. And then we're in our own little cats are stupid bubble. And <laughs> who's ever going to tell us otherwise? Nobody. No one, no one, nobody. Cause we're correct. And it's an empiric fact. Yeah. Uh, another one, compassion fade. This is the predisposition to behave more compassionately towards a small number of identifiable victims than to a large number of anonymous ones. Like, for example, a small number of cat owners who are victims. And then there's all the dog owners out there that I can't relate with. Like, mm-hmm. fuck those people. Mm-hmm. These cat owners, I understand them. Yeah. I am in their position. Yeah. And I can really, I can identify with we're, them. We're bleeding from scratches. We're, their paws are on our keyboards. <laughs> It's it's a it's a real struggle. Yeah, uh, the Dunning Kruger effect, which I explained earlier, the illusory truth effect, a tendency to believe that a statement is true if it is easier to process or if it has been stated multiple times, regardless of its actual veracity. Um, Stephen Colbert actually coined this term, truthiness. Yeah, this is that's that's the term that he came up with. Basically, yeah. you just repeat something enough. Or loudly enough, and it just becomes true. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yeah. Or like cats are very stupid. Well, that's other because I I read something interesting (laughs) about like um, 
because we're surrounded in like propaganda. It seems like it's 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 heating up nowadays, and like the propaganda is like uh, primary purpose is not to convince. That's like a secondary purpose. Its primary purpose is to exhaust, which is why like you can get a lot of mileage and change a lot of mind just by repeating something wrong at ten times the volume or ten times the amount of like a, a correct fact because you know you're just not going to spend the time every single time you hear something wrong and stopping and having the lengthy discussion to correct it. It's right. just impossible. Right. So, exactly. uh, this, yeah, you, you, you get, a uh, man, it's wild. Cause it feels like the world's a lot truthier than it was when Colbert started a shtick. Yeah. No, I mean, I could do a whole episode on satire and maybe we will at some point. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell did. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't always have the desired effect. Yeah. These. Yeah, exactly. So again, I just want to repeat the cats are stupid. Um, <laughs> concurred uh, the next one I have is normalcy bias the refusal to plan for or react to a disaster which has never happened before um, yeah I can say that like our neighbor had this happen where you know we live we all have basements so we're all susceptible to flooding uh-huh. but our neighbor got especially flooded one year uh-huh. and it's something that you know you and I should go buy sandbags to block our driveway off in case something like that happens again. Yeah, we know we, it's possible. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. know it could be our house maybe next time. Uh-huh. But I'm not going to plan for that because it hasn't happened to us. Sure. This is whistle past that graveyard. Uh, the ostrich effect, which is kind of self-explanatory, where you ignore an obvious negative situation by sticking your head in the sand, as ostriches do. Uh, there's the overconfidence effect. Excessive confidence in one's own answers to questions. For example, uh, for certain types of questions, answers that people rate as 99% certain, say that I'm 99% certain that cats are stupid, Mm -hmm. turn out to be wrong 40% of the time. Holy shit. (laughs) Uh, The third person effect. A hypothesized tendency is to believe that mass communicated media messages have a greater effect on other people than themselves. You know, you see a political commercial and you're like, this is garbage and you recognize it for what it is. But is it having a a cognitive bias effect on you? Probably. This also ties into like because I feel like increasingly it's such a waste of time to argue with people on Twitter Mm -hmm. because like we treat that like we're arguing with some like literally a, a commercial on TV, whereas people increasingly but but people increasingly do that. Instead of like arguing with their real life friends and family, like, oh, man, I don't want to talk to Uncle Frank at Thanksgiving, but I will blast 100 Uncle Franks in (laughs) my governor's daily coronavirus tweet thread on Twitter. Right. It's like, what would would do the actual most good? Uh, The last one I have here is the bias blind spot. The tendency to see oneself as less biased than other people or to be able to identify more cognitive biases in others than in oneself. Uh, and I think we all might be guilty of this now. Yep. It's what uh, what Jesus himself said. <laughs> you, you're, you're better at picking out the straw from your brother's eye than the rafter sticking out of your own. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all I've got on cognitive biases. I feel like I could do three or four more episodes on this, on the social and memory ones. Well, the, I, th- I think that the the one, the category of, of like biases, because we have to m- make quick decisions, that it's worth the time in moments of calm and reflection to think about your biases. Because, you know, um, if, if, for example, there's a particular unconscious racial bias in a particular country. Right, stereotyping have, is a bias. Yep, and you have, like, you know, officers that carry deadly weapons and in a split-second decision, you have to ask them whether to just pull the trigger or not. Uh, that time, you know, that suddenly... He's like, boy, wish we'd done a lot more training and talking about, you know, biases and how we can eliminate them and how we can reduce them. Because, you know, when you're making those split second decisions, uh, it's 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 too late because your biases are going to take over and you're going to have no conscious control over them. Uh-huh. Uh, same way when you're dealing, you know, in, in angry, hostile situations with our family members. Always a good time to like if you ever can calm down, try to get rational Think about why you're upset. Mm-hmm. Think about, you know, is 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 this the only way to see it, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I I really and again, you're never gonna be like the Buddha, like levitating over the ground in a lotus position, free of all biases. <laughs> right. But you can certainly do a lot of work um by challenging them and being aware of them as yeah. much as possible. Spend less time challenging Twitter 
people and challenge yourself. Yep. Um, there is also a really interesting uh, cognitive bias infographic poster that they're selling that I'm going to link in the show notes as well that I'm thinking about buying. Because ah. it's, I don't know, I just find this stuff fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also like, you know, we talk about uh, uh, the Fred Rogers theology. Uh, I did, did I mention, I feel like I mentioned this last week, the idea that like when I was a Christian, a lot of my fellows carried around like a bookmark that had like the seven fruitages of the spirit. And each oh, day yeah. they would work, they'd randomly pick one to work on or like something that's one of the AA practices. Like just for today, I'm going to try to not, uh, I wonder if you could do that. Like, you know, make a bookmark with cognitive <laughs> biases and just, just for today, <laughs> I'm going to focus on this. I'm going bias. to work on confirmation <laughs> bias or just yeah. for today. I'm going to work on, you know, uh, not letting the Dunning Kruger effect kick my ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I like those ideas of trying to come up with like almost secularly spiritual practices. Yeah. We're getting closer every day. Yeah. Laying yeah. the groundwork here. Yeah. All right. Now that we've uh, shared our little tricks, we're going to now turn our show to the advice portion, uh, the advice segment of the show, uh, where people send in their own weird tricks that they want to share with the audience, or they request our advice on particular difficult or tricky living uh, situations that they're experiencing. Um, maybe you want to see how they can do better. If you would like to do that, you can always reach out at us to OWT. That's the initials for one weird trick at swizzbold.com. Who we got first up, Cecily? All right. First up today, we've got Ein Frau. Um, A returning contestant. Yeah. So Aaron brought up the concept of externalizing anxiety like Bill Hader in our last episode. Um, Einfrau says, I found that naming the anxiety helps separate my identity from the anxiety. The thought pattern goes from I am anxious to I am a person noticing that I'm experiencing anxiety right now. Hmm. By naming the anxiety and asking what it needs to feel okay, you can give this other entity the compassion you may not be able to give yourself. The technique takes practice and repetition to carve new neural pathways in your brain. It is a work in progress, and I am by no means totally zen. Yeah, like that's I, maybe we should like agree that we don't have to say it anymore, because I notice that I keep doing that, too. Like uh, I just did it with the kind like, oh, it's important to realize you're not going to be the Buddha. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, nobody's there is no one that's like that. Not even the Buddha would probably say that. I mean, it's helpful to repeat because. It's another daily affirmation or yeah. an affirmation that keeps you grounded. Plus, it's like keeps you from sound, sound like an insufferable twat. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, here's all the perfect advice. And I fall perfectly all the time. But <laughs> my life was wonderful. Uh, hey, don't be so hard on yourself. You're right. You're right. I'm glad we had this talk. If you fight the anxiety, it just gets stronger. It's like if you had a high drive dog on a leash and it really wants to run away. If you pull back on the leash, the dog just strains forward that much more. And God forbid the leash slips from your fingers because that dog slash anxiety metaphor will be off to the fucking races, eating rabbit poop and tangling with that neighbor cat that taunts her through the fence all while the Benny Hill song plays in the background. Stupid cats, man. Stupid cats. See, look how much trouble they cause. (laughs) All right. Anfrau now has a question about public blithe bigotry. How do you handle overhearing socially regressive or downright hateful language in public? Like if you overhear a white stranger talking about how she should be able to say the N-word. I have no problem challenging a friend, whether they are speaking directly to me or not. I've thrown down with more than one coworker in a crowded break room. Yeah, I'm that liberal feminist killjoy. But a stranger in public? They weren't talking to me, but obviously didn't care if I heard them. Do I say anything to disabuse them of the notion that we're all aggressive here and that kind of talk is okay? Do I engage with them directly saying something loud enough for them to hear or just butt out? I realize this may not be an issue that needs to be dealt with often in this era of social distancing and isolating, but I assume we will not solve all of society's ills before the end of the pandemic. Man, this reminds me of that Burger King experience we had right before the shutdown. Oh, yes. Where we had, because there's like a sad fact of the existence in our stretch of the Cincinnati city is there's like not a Burger King in a 20 mile radius. And they debuted the most delicious of all meat alternative sandwiches, the Impossible Whopper, which does something impossible. It's it's, it's a Whopper that contains no beef and it tastes just like a Whopper. It's It's incredible. But it was pretty late at night in a yeah. in a very mostly white area. Yeah, very you know, kind of like in right in the rural and suburban divide. This is not 
you know, where, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of political signs that the uh, slogans stuff like God guns Trump. You right. know, that's that's the, the that's the the platform they run on. Right. So we're alone in this restaurant just eating. Yeah. It's like right business. before closing time. Uh, and there's this guy who is loudly saying a bunch of shit, but kind of in like this cloak, like, you know, I'm OK with uh you know, F slurs and T slurs. I just think, and like one of his coworker looks like they might be some kind of non-binary or trans right. They person. had like blue hair and maybe earrings or something like that. You could definitely tell they were attempting to trigger. Yeah, and that person was kind of like you know, fake smile, plastering her face, ha ha, yeah, uh huh, and kind of like rolling with it. And I really did think like maybe we should say something. But I've also had a lot of experiences where I get into that in a stranger situation. And maybe they do have a dynamic where they give each other shit. Or maybe the that person who's being kind of like picked on would rather be picked on in that way than like active hatred. Like, you know, don't draw attention to. So it's like it's really tricky when you're talking about people using words and it's not your business because Mm -hmm. the the bottom line is what is your goal is your goal to make yourself feel better is your goal to improve the situation is your goal to reduce harm and it's easier like if you saw like someone like about to be physically assaulted you know yeah definitely intervene at that point yeah like or or if there's like something like you know if, if someone was screaming and yelling and another person's crying uh, you know, jumping in and being like, Jesus Christ, slow down or, you know, and I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a big dude that's fairly intimidating. So like me just kind of loudly going like, what the fuck is a lot of times enough to put a cold bucket of water on a situation. But right. But you also have to ask yourself, what's that person's intent? Is that a white woman thinking that she should be allowed to say it and attempting to trigger the people around her as well? Yeah. Is, I mean, they're just real life internet trolls. Yeah. Uh, sometimes. Um. I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm I'm of the opinion that we like we said earlier, definitely engage with Uncle Frank at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Leave these people alone. Like if you stop giving them the coverage, right. then maybe they will realize that they're just the asshole. I mean, yeah. hopefully that's the plan. Yeah, like otherwise, I s- you know, you bring yourself to their level by engaging publicly and cuz it can't go well, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like when I go to Kings Island and I see a dude with like, you know, liberal snowflake tear cornflake fake cereal shirt and it's got an eight it's got a you know ar-15 on a sleeve and a bunch of patriotic bullshit i'm like they want me to say something mm-hmm. just like a kid that's going around like in a fucking sickle and hammer t-shirt you know bright red they want the they want someone to like start shit with them and I don't like to give into that, but like, you know, if uh, Uncle Frank shows up to the picnic wearing that shirt, you can be like, well, Uncle Frank, I'm a liberal. Do you think I'm a snowflake? But but also, right. I just watched The Plot Against America, and I do have mixed feelings about like when in society we should collectively like check that shit. Because I am kind of getting tired of one, one a, a se- segment of our society that goes around and fucking... Uh, Stars and Stripe Punisher logos with guns bristling and like, you know, what what it seems to be social intimidated intimidation and mm-hmm. me just like, oh, well, you know, fuck it, whatever. Um, it does feel like that that has a cumulative effect. And I honestly don't know what to do about it because everything I said is completely true. And, you know, the, the plot against America, people standing up and saying something didn't really matter in the, the, the end game to, uh, anyway. So. I don't know. I'm of two minds about it. Yeah. I definitely think we should be more firm and fair uh, when we're dealing with the people that we have some kind of esteem in their eyes. Friends, families, neighbors, right. co-workers, and entirely appropriate. If you approach a person, a stranger in public, then they're immediately going to be on the defensive and you're yeah. not going to change any minds or maybe even influence them to even part of your thinking. Yeah. And if you're the only one, if you you start tilting out the windmills and the crowd turns against you, you know, then you're actually going to do the reverse. You're going to reinforce everyone, even the people sitting on the fence uh, against the, the the quote unquote course of righteousness. So mm-hmm. it's tough. You got to play by ear. You got to consider like, you know, what is the harm being done? What is the benefit you're trying to accomplish? And uh, but but yeah, try try to, you know, most most politics is local, as they say. And you can't get much more local than in your own homes and communities and 
I, I think most most of the heavy lifting can be done peer to peer rather mm-hmm. than stranger to stranger. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Outer Child, uh, who emailed us the show before, made the show before that. Mm-hmm. Said, thank you so much for reading your my email and for your thoughts and kindness. Well, you're quite welcome. I figured I would just touch on a couple of things from your conversation. Giving Theodore and Teddy a name. Oh, right. We, because uh, we questioned, like, I, I just, I didn't, you know, I didn't question. I just said, like, that's odd to me to, like, give your inner child self a different name. Mm-hmm. But Outer Child explains, giving Theodore slash Teddy a name hits my ears kind of funny at first when my shrink brought it up. But with a little reflection and especially once put into a bit of practice, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think it helps me to focus on the work. It creates a clear distinction so that that aspect is easy to address and is not muddy. I think it helps my buy in. Like Aaron said, words are powerful. And when you're jumbling your way through what's the correct pronoun, the potency of the message can dilute. In a way, it helps me see them as a child. That's why I like Theodore more. I tended to go with the more childlike Teddy and contextualize the way he sees the world and feels better. My own thoughts and feelings are easier to pull out of that mix. The way I have found a lot of success is by writing him letters. I do a lot of explaining to him that I realize he is needed to be the way he was as a child, pleasing, scared, intensely stressed out for someone his age, but he doesn't have to be that way now. I get in touch with his circumstances and explain things from my perspective and in essence tell him that it's okay and he doesn't have to feel that way anymore. There's a lot of neglect and guilt and stress about bringing anything that wasn't sunny to the table and Teddy is a really powerful and destructive force in my psyche. So I write him letters to soothe him and I think mostly to better understand him. I hope the idea helps. It feels great to understand myself better. I Great. That actually makes a lot of sense to me because... You know, with something you and I talk about, like there's this uh, uh, we used to watch Adventure Time with our son and uh, Jake, the dog, had this expression like, you know, whenever he'd like wince or like in the, you know, his buddy would be like, what happened? He's like, oh, I just burnt my hand on a hot memory stove. Yeah. You know, like when we flash back to that time, we were humiliated as a child or we said the wrong thing and it's all oh, it's cringe and everybody's looking at us. It feels like physical pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's you need a way to go back and kind of heal or forgive yourself and realize like that's eh, not that big a deal. And maybe writing letters is a great way to do that because just thinking it through doesn't work for me because mm-hmm. I just want to yank my hand off that stove as fast as possible. Right. But if I externalize it and giving advice to someone, you know, like I was like, if, if, if a child came to me, that that seems I'm warming up to it. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff that feels weird, like, I, like I've always said, like affirmations, super fucking weird when I first started it, but it started to pay off. And now I understand the wisdom of it. Um, I appreciate your follow up on that because, you know, it's one of those things where things that seem silly or weird or, you know, like, oh, that's kind of frou-frou, maybe has more power than I would initially grant it. Yeah. The one thing that we're guaranteed in life is this life. So it'd be a waste of time to not spend it trying to make yourself better for yourself and the people around you. Yeah. Um, even if they are your outer child. All right. We've got one final email today. You ready? I'm ready. This is from Guy Code Petitioner. It's coming before the court of for, for a Guy Code violation? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Hey, Guy and Gal. I need some advice. I know this married couple that have in the last year separated. I say no because they're friends of a friend who I've been thrown into random activities with. Board game groups, seen a movie or two, done some outdoor activities, mostly in a group setting a dozen or so times in the past five-ish years. When I heard they were splitting up, I offered the guy some words of support and encouragement. And we had some talks about how he's feeling and doing and made a few plans to hang out and do guy stuff, but there has never been any follow-through. In the first few months, there's a lot of, yeah, absolutely, we should do that, but never got a date set and gradually stopped reaching out and haven't heard from him as much. Meanwhile, his wife and I still have fairly frequent contact through mutual friend network, group activities, and whatnot, and I feel like there's definitely an attraction there. Recently, I've heard they're formalizing their separation and doing the paperwork for a divorce. I haven't acted on it because I'm not sure what my obligations are as to the guy code. If me and the guy had hit it off and become better friends, this would probably be a no-go, or at least I'd feel like an obligation to tell about my feelings to see if it would be a friendship breaker. But that's not the case. And I don't know if I have serious feelings for her, if it's just a fling or a rebound thing, and I don't really care, 
But I also feel like it would be less shitty if I were head over heels or she's the one when the reality is she's an attractive person that I feel attracted to. Who knows what will happen? Can you talk this through and tell me if there's a way to be good guy Greg on this? Or is this a definitive scumbag Steve situation? (sighs) There's a lot going on here. Uh, Yeah, I would say the first thing you have to consider is your relationship to both of those people. And it sounds like you've done that. Like, you aren't really friends with one or the other. So, are you... who Are you betraying anyone by pursuing this? Yeah, because, like, I've... So, full disclosure, I've had um, guy friends who have had exes that I've dated and vice versa. But it's always been like, oh, you know, I saw her for a month or two. It didn't work out. And I still like, you know, if this is a pre-existing long term friend, male friendship, I said, hey, would it be cool if I took so and so out or would that be and like, you know, every single time it's come up, they've like, you know, it's been like, oh, yeah, no, she's a great girl. Just, you know, no hard feelings. Mm -hmm. Hope it works out. What are et cetera, et cetera. Um, I but like this and obviously you know with a a complete stranger like if you didn't know this guy at all like you had like never reached out to this guy and offered some friendship um he would just be some rando and this would be another woman that's on the dating market and you take your shot and see what happens do you think there's some sort of like mutual attraction here is the woman giving off the vibes right back at you yeah and it feels like uh, uh, confident, but that's of. more I'm getting a feeling that's more of a secondary concern because it's more of like, you know, like, have I led this guy on? Am I going to be right. seen as like a betrayer that, right. like, oh, you know, a year ago I reached out and said, hey, I heard you're going through some rough times, you know, uh, hey, that, that could be tough, you know, but mind if I date your ex wife, yeah, but it well, and then like, then like, and imagine like if you guys had gotten really close. And you start hanging out and all that kind of stuff. And then while this is happening, you're also putting moves on his soon-to-be ex-wife. Right. And then he finds out about it. That that feels like a betrayal. Feels like a betrayal. But that's not what happened. Right. But. I mean, you got to go with what your gut says. And you have to ask yourself these important questions. Yeah. And you also got to be prepared for the fact, like, so what happens if you... Uh, okay, so what happens if you just decide not to pursue it? You're just going to be good guy, Greg, for sure. Play safe, rather safe and sorry than to skirt into the scumbag Steve territory. And yeah. so that what will happen is you won't make a move on the woman. She's not going to make a move on you. And this guy who you're not having much contact with uh, is still going to be a guy you're not having much contact with. Or maybe a year from now, you guys, he'll he'll he, he's actually hurt. And in a weird place and is pushing everyone away. And a year from now, he'll reach back out and be like, hey, man, sorry, I blew you off all those times. I really could use a friend. And so there's that. Right. There's that to consider. Like, are you going to tell him? Does he need to know that kind of thing? That's because the the other side Uh, is you do pursue it. And then he finds out and he comes flying in. And it may be been six months since you've heard from him. And he's like, you know, what the fuck's going on? And like, there's a mutual friend that worked there. Is that is there going to be any blowback? Yeah. Also, from that to consider, because also like, consider that mutual friend group. Because if yeah. you if you do this, let's say you you pursue something with her, and maybe it doesn't work out, is that going to blow up any chance of like hanging out with those people again in yeah. a group? Are you losing yeah. all of those friends that yeah. way? But if this guy comes in and flies, comes flying in, is like, what the fuck? Like, are you? So, so, so that's, I think that's the, the crux of it. Um, because, you know, obviously if you don't pursue it, then nothing's going to happen. But if you do pursue it, are you worried that he's going to come in and be like, this guy's a f- snake in the grass and blah, blah, blah? Do you care? Mm-hmm. Do you, do, or, you know, are you going to be like, well, that's a bunch of bullshit? Um, like or, you said, you know, she's not the one. So you're not chasing love here. Seems like you're just chasing sex. Is it worth it? Yeah. The other thing, I guess, is like, if you wanted to be like, I guess, leaning heavily on the good guy greg is like i guess it it wouldn't hurt to just have a conversation with guy but uh, that's weird like hey it's been a while since we talked uh you haven't been around lately uh you know me and so and so starting to there's there's maybe a little bit of heat there kind of want to see if you explored it thumbs up (laughs) right like is that that kind of relationship with them i mean if if you did do that and he's like you know what fucker and better good luck to you and no bubbles no troubles then you know you're total good guy greg and you can go on right but 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like there's, 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 there's that like in the middle there is the gray area where it's like, that's the thing you do if you're like super white hot paladin, but you know, like how much do you value the friendship with the guy or the potential future friendship? How much do you value your reputation as like a gleaming white paladin of virtue within your friend circle? And what do you think? I guess the other thing is like this mutual friend circle. How important is that to you? Right. How, how important is your friendship with this woman? Mm -hmm. Is it just sex? Could you deal with it if it became love? I definitely had to invite this guy to your wedding. Yeah. (laughs) Once you sort your feelings over the guy, then you should probably have a, a, a conversation with the, the woman. And before you get like too far deep into that, like have a pretty exhaustive conversation about this stuff. Like, what do you think about our friends? Now, what do you think they're going to say about feel, it? What do you think he's yeah. going to feel about? Like, is she going to want to tell him? Yeah. Yeah. And like, if it's a fling, then whatever. But like, what if it turns into something? And what if you find out that his, her like parents really love this guy and now you like and they still have conversations with this guy and yeah. you're scumbag Steve in their mm-hmm. eyes. Like, that's the stuff that like would be next level figuring it out. But How would you feel if it was a reverse situation and he was going to fuck your ex-wife? How would that make you feel? Kind of explore those feelings within you. How would okay? Let's do that because I. What do you what, what? So like, let's say you and I got divorced. You had a, a mutual friend of ours that's kind of guys. I can think we can think of several people that was like mutuals that like are kind of orbiters, but not a big deal. And they reached out and been like, "Oh, Cecily, I heard this. It's terrible. I always thought you guys were great. Blah blah blah." And you just kind of blew them off. And then a year later, you found out they're dating. Did you be mad? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> We're getting multiple layers deep here. I know. But here's the thing is <laughs> I have to ask myself, like, why did you and I break it off? Is it because we mutually understood that there was a problem? Did we break it off because you cheated on me and now mm. you're fucking my friends? That mm. hurts. Did we break it off because we're like, we're cool and we're friends? You know, there's some there's some. Or some other factors to consider there. You know, how clean was it? How ugly are they getting? Also, there's all their kinds divorce? of marriages. Like, were they married for like two and a half years? It's right. kind of tumultuous. Did they get then, married in Vegas six months ago and or, decided or, it was a bad idea? There's, there's like no ages here, but like, were they married 15 years? They got three kids. And, right. But yeah, also, that's the other thing, like the cheating. Like, if you don't know the background there, that might be another right. aggravation. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot to explore there. Anyway, good guy, guy code petitioner. Yeah, yeah. So I, the the court the court needs a lot more evidence before we can make a definitive ruling. But I hope we've given you like at least some things to think about and like how like some kind of framework other than I don't know the Holy Bible in which to navigate these these treacherous moral and ethical waters. Because I think that it it speaks well of you that you are considering this stuff rather because you know rather than this kind of fucking blundering. A bull in a china shop with people's emotions yeah uh, I, I i you know i think uh everybody should 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 give a lot of serious thought before they they do stuff like that before you stick your dick in something for you yeah for you <laughs> you shit where you eat or you eat where you shit or you lay down a fleas you, yeah i don't know all the different all the different uh various <laughs> verbal witticisms so yeah shoot your shot king <laughs> <laughs> That's the official ruling here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, definitely, definitely updates. Definitely love to see <laughs> yes, your updates. Like, year, I, I can't wait to get the epic email uh, update a year from now where it's either Scorched Earth or the Road Not Taken or <laughs> or Kumbaya. an invitation to the wedding. You have to invite to us if, if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good luck. Hope to hear back from you. All right. That's all we've got this week. Aaron will be back next week for another Three Right Turns episode. Yeah, I'm really... So, in the background, I have accumulated a bunch of different interviews I've had with people that have kind of, like, getting to be a backlog. Um, and I'm doing a bunch more in the, in the over the next week or two. So, I'm going to experiment. This is going to be, like, a season. This is not the pattern that I'm establishing for, for now and forever. But I'm going to experiment with weekly three right turns for the next six weeks, starting with three right turns 14, which is this 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 coming one. So if you've been enjoying the biweekly show, you're now going to get a weekly show for at least six weeks. Yay. And if um, 
those interviews and stuff and I can keep, you know, keep stuff in the can and, and still work on the long format lines and stuff and I'll keep doing it. If not, uh, you know, and things, uh, things get really hot and heavy on the, the bald move side or, or whatever, uh, I might go back down to every other week, but, uh, I'm going to try, I'm going to try the, the week, the, the weekly schedule for the next six. All right. And Aaron and I will be back together the week after next for another one weird trick. Mm-hmm. If you have any feedback for us or any requests for your own weird tricks to improve your life, love, and happiness, you can email us at owtswizbold.com. You can also find us on all of the social medias send at Swizzbold. Send us the really messy shit. I like the, yeah, I, like the, I love the, the, this good the, the guy petitioners. <laughs> yeah, where there's like no real good answers or just ways to think about it. And send like, that's... us your messy sex questions. Yeah. We're, we're so hot for that. Yeah, we are. We are... Otherwise, we're just have to start describing our own sex. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> we're not there yet but i'm like god damn it says i know this is you <laughs> you can't sneak this by me damn it all right i want to fuck your friends <laughs> uh also thanks to all of our patreon supporters we cannot do this without you you can become a patreon supporter if you're not already at patreon.com slash you can also get some pretty sweet Swizzbold one weird trick and three right turns merch at merch.swizzbold.com just started that site and we got a lot of really cool products to offer there. Yeah, I got, um, I got a three right turns charcoal gray coming my way. Yeah, I got a t- I got a cool tie dye Rambo one weird trick shirt. Um, you can also just go to our website swizzbolt.com to find links to all of these things and all of our episodes. I want to especially thank some of our Patreon supporters that are under the Fred level by name here: Mark Hahn, Laura Luthi, Kira Grusho. Jared Harrowman, Greg Rasp, George P. Burdell, Arvin Rao, Angelo Morano. Thank you all so much. Again, we couldn't be doing this without your support. And uh, we're, we're really having a great time here. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it's It's been really nice to see the community grow and really enjoy the great feedback, really enjoy the support we're getting, and it really motivates us to keep keep on keeping on. Yeah, create more shows, do weekly three right turns, some yeah. other things. We're, oh, oh, also, um, if you're not subscribed, oh, yes. we did, we're burying the fucking lead burying here. Burying the lead right at the bottom. Uh, if you're not following at Swizzbold, you should, because we, Cecily and I, have made through made good on our threat that that we've been talking about of, of the last few weeks, and we're doing um, Bob Ross competitive painting. It's a bald move in Swizzbold partnership. Because Swizzbold doesn't have a Twitch account <laughs> that's big enough to be able to do uh, Twitch Prime live I'm watches. I'm not invited to the Twitch watch parties. And well, what that means is we can watch. If you have a if you have a uh, Amazon Prime membership and you can get a Twitch account, which are free, uh, and you link those two together, which we have instructions for on the website, uh, you can watch along with us for anything that's included in the Amazon Prime library. And Bob Ross, like twenty some seasons of him, are on there. And what we like to do is we roll a dice to determine randomly a season and episode to watch, mm-hmm. and then we act as if this is a competitive sport. And Cecily and I are the announcers, breaking down his technique, getting mm-hmm. sideline reports from the chat. Uh, you know, real time painting analysis. Whether we and- think he's like, oh, he's just ruined the canvas. <laughs> this is, uh, and, oh, he saved it again. Like it's, it's, it's really dumb, but it's a lot of fun. People are enjoying it, and I want to make sure people got an official invitation. Yes, you are officially invited. The Bob Ross Competitive Painting League. <laughs> we'll sell you the whole stream, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's all. That's it. That's all this week. Yeah, see you next week. Bye.